Great. So we're going to read Daniel 1 today. Uh, I guess no one's reading that. Cool. Uh, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Michelle, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show him favor and sympathy, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them all vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Thank you for that, Christina. Um, Darby, do you want to come on up and we'll, um, we'll pray for you? You'll, you'll probably know Darby. He's got his two boys there who's still in crash and they've managed to stay yeah. in there so far. Miracle. Excellent. <laughs> Brilliant. So let's, let's pray that that continues and you don't have to dash out mid, midway through your talk. That'd be very morning. awkward, wouldn't it? Yeah. That would be very awkward. Yeah, yeah. But... Um, Darby, we're delighted that, um, that you feel that God's got something that he's been stirring mm. within you to share with us this morning, so we'd mm. love to pray for you before cool. you begin. So let's pray. Mm. Loving God, we thank you so much uh, for our brother Darby. We pray mm. that as he speaks to us this morning, you would open our hearts and minds to hear and receive more of, of what you want to say to us, that you would open us to the working of your spirit. And we pray for Darby, God, that he would be sensitive to what you are wanting to do in us and through us this morning. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. That's good. That's a good start, if you can hear me. So, some of you may know me, some of you may not know me, so I'll give a little introduction to who I am. Uh, So, my name is Darby, as you may have caught. Um, I'm married to Christina, who just gave us that lovely reading, which is great. Basically, the main reason I got Christina to read that was because I was scared of saying the Jewish names wrong, and uh, so that's good. So, I don't have to worry about that, although I will be saying them, so actually, we'll see how that goes. Um, I've got two boys. We've got two boys, um, as we just said, so they're one and two, which is a very young age, and has lots of challenges, but is also incredible, um, so we're very blessed. Um, so as Lucy was saying, um, there's this kind of theme, I suppose, we're running with at the moment, which is the one thing. What is the one thing that God has put on your heart to share with the congregation? Um, which I think back when, I don't know when we spoke about Lucy, it was months ago though, and it's, it's difficult at that point because you're thinking, well, What's God going to say in the next few months? You know, maybe he's saying one thing today, but it's not going to be the same thing tomorrow. Um, fortunately, for me at least, I felt like God spoke. And I felt like he's been speaking through those months. Um, he's been putting stuff in my heart. And so personally, I'm, I'm really challenged by kind of what God was saying to me. Um, and I'm also really encouraged. And I feel like this morning, for me at least, just hearing some of the stuff that's going on in church, actually, I feel confirmed that actually God has spoken. So I'm expectant. So let's hope that we can all be expectant together. Let's, let's listen for what God is saying in these words. And um, I'm just going to pray real quickly, actually, just to open um, just into that. So let's just pray quickly. Lord God, we want to thank you for the opportunity to come together as a family. I want to thank you, God, that you do speak to us today, that you give us words, that you speak into our our hearts and our minds, and you inspire us, and that you are a living, breathing God. And we ask, Lord, that that the words that I speak would be from you, and any words that are from me that are just not applicable, they would fall to the side, and they would not be considered or lingered on, but God, that you would allow us just to hear the words that you are speaking. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Cool. So this question, the one thing. So the way I want to answer that, I want to take us to the, the strap line of church. So does anyone know what our strap line is? Love God, love people, make a difference. Perfect. Nailed it. Awesome. Well, I, I really love that as a, as a, like a strap line. It's funny, I went to a church quite, quite similar before with a similar strap line. Um, it had like love God, love people, but it had a different last part. And what I think is really significant is this make a difference bit. And that's the thing that I feel like God has been challenging me on. He's been speaking to me about what is making a difference. Um, so that's kind of what I want to explore and unpack today um, because it just it so resonated with me. So I've been on a bit of a journey recently, and this is probably why making a difference has become such a, uh, a prominent thing in, in my own mind and heart. Um, I was, um, oh, I forgot to touch on this earlier actually, but I work for a company called Kyan. They're um, just a digital agency. They, it's in Guildford, it's brilliant. I basically cycle to work, it takes me like 10 minutes to get there. Absolute dream. <laughs> so I'm really very fortunate. Um, and it's about 40 odd people there, lots of nice guys, everyone gets on. It's, really a very nice job, and I've been very blessed to have that. I've been there about a year and a half, I think it's been, and yeah, it's been really great. Um, but I had this, this, this thing happen to me recently. Uh, it was over Christmas, actually, where I was just chatting at a, this Christmas do, which we had, which we went to um, 
the Cozy Club. I don't know if anyone's been there. Cozy Club, anyone? It's in Guildford and Tonsgate. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. We had, we had a really not great time at Christmas. However, I've been there loads of times with Christina, and we have an amazing time. They've got this burger, which is just... I don't know what they call it. It's uh, some captain something. Anyway, it's fantastic. <laughs> Highly recommend it. But we were there, and um, my colleague said to me, um, we're just chit-chatting about stuff, and uh, however it came up, I think I was talking about doing a, a band, basically, in the workplace, like a few of us are musicians, and um, as you may know, I've, I play in, play in the team here, and um, we're just t talking about that. And uh, me and this other guy, we'd already had a jam session, and we're talking to this, my friend Jamie, and uh, we're just talking around the idea, and we said that we've got a name for this band, and we're going to call ourselves the Holy Socks. And he thought, what? what? He was like, well, he said to me, oh, I'm not very religious, actually, so I'd rather we didn't have that name. Um, and I said, well, actually, it's just a joke, because what, what happened is in this band practice that I'd had with the other person, we both, both transpired that we both had holes in our socks. So we thought, perfect name, Holy Socks. But that led to me sort of saying about, okay, well, you know, I, I'm a Christian, but it's not, it's not a Christian thing. And the guy, this guy, Jamie, he said to me, you're a Christian. And shocked, he was shocked. And I took that, I wasn't sure I had to take that, if I'm honest. <laughs> Part of me was like, is that good? Is that bad? What, what does he mean by this? Does this mean that I'm living a really sinful life and, and that no one's really aware that I'm a Christian? Does it mean that I've just not told anyone about God? What does it mean? And it was really difficult. Or it might have meant that I was just a really cool guy and I didn't fit that box of Christian. And that's the, the, the analogy I'd like to believe. But just don't know. But it was a real challenge. It was a wake-up call for me. Because I think it's so often that we can just get through our, our working days, think that we're you know, making an, an impact on people or we're doing all right or we, you know, we're, we're at church, we're having a great time and things are going well. But when do we actually assess our impact in, in the workplace or wherever we may be, whether it's at college or at um, university or wherever our sort of ministry may be. So I was challenged. And where it really came, that was almost something that lingered in the background. And then my, I've got a mentor. I don't know if anyone's got a, you don't have to put your hand up for this, but anyone's got a mentor relationship in, in church. But um, it is something that we're quite passionate about at St. Saviour's. And I'd highly recommend getting a mentor if you haven't, because it's, it's a really good way to have someone, really, for me at least, be, to be accountable to someone about my own faith and, and growing. And my mentor actually challenged me on it. He said, um, really, to think about my workplace as uh, a ministry and saying, actually, you're a minister in the workplace. And that was a challenge I really wanted, particularly off the back of this, this guy Jamie saying this stuff. I thought, I just need to sort this out. I need to change. So I really hungered for this. I really needed this. I wanted it. So I looked into it. And what is a minister is kind of the, the, the first question you have to look at. You know, if I want to do this, be a minister in the workplace, what, what actually is a minister? So I looked it up, and the actual original Latin meaning for the word minister is servant. So essentially, we're called to be servants, which I think is really interesting. So a moment, let's, let's take away the, the acts of service, what comes with that, the things you do. Just forget about that. Just think about it in its, its simplicity. You're called to be a servant. And for me, that's, that's a real challenge. It's, it's a heart change. It's a whole different approach to what it is to be in work. You're called not just, just to serve your employer, but serve everyone you come in contact with. So for me, that's 
colleagues, that's you know, clients, that's anyone. It might be someone that's come there just to do the cleaning at the office or something like that. We're called to serve. That's our mandate. That's what we're called to. So how can we serve in the workplace? What does that practically look like? So to answer that, let's get our teeth stuck into this story of Daniel. That's where this reading comes in. So just looking at a brief overview of, of Daniel, it's, it's an incredible book, very, very interesting, um, something I've, I've looked at a little bit, obviously, for, in preparing. And uh, Daniel is actually a, a sort of a legendary figure. So there were many sort of, sort of stories around this, this, this guy, Daniel, um, in, in that time. And scholars are somewhat divided around when this text originates, actually. Um, but a common conclusion is that it's written whilst there was a king, Antiochus um, IV, um, when he was in power, and that was between the years of 167 to 164 BC. So there is a reason for me telling you about this, but I will come to that. Um, and the Jewish people were at that time really, really heavily persecuted under his leadership. Um, it's quite extreme. And I found this article, which um, I'm just going to read from, which, uh, yeah, just sort of lays that out for us and gives us a bit more context to what was going on at that time. So it says, he is properly Antiochus IV, but he took upon himself the title Epiphanes, or Epiphanes, which means uh, illustrious one, or God manifest. However, his bizarre and blasphemous behavior earned him another nickname among the Jews, which is Epimanes, which means mad one. But that was really clever that they'd done that. It was like a very similar name, and they just sort of distorted it a little bit to mean something completely different. So Antiochus raided the temple in Jerusalem, stealing its treasures, setting up an altar to Zeus, and sacrificing swine on the altar. When the Jews expressed their outrage over profaning of the temple, Antiochus responded by slaughtering a great number of Jews and selling others into slavery. He issued even more uh, draconian decrees, performing that the rite of circumcision was punishable by death, and Jews everywhere were ordered to sacrifice to pagan gods and eat pig flesh. He wasn't just trying to Hellenize the Jews, but to totally eliminate all traces of the Jewish culture. Intense, right? That's an intense time. And it's really interesting to now be able to frame when Daniel was written, potentially, um, to this, this point. And for me, reading it gives a lot of context. I feel that Daniel was describing this very same situation in this passage. It was written as a, as a source of encouragement for the Jewish people, which were currently, under that time, under a lot of pressure, obviously. And it was political. You know, it wasn't just a, a little statement. It was, there was something here. It was to, to give hope and to say, look, this is not right. We need to stand firm. This is what it is to stand firm in this situation. So just as there's a parallel with, with Daniel and, and the time it was written, I feel like there's a parallel with today. And we might not be in that same you know, method of persecution as Christians, but we are persecuted as a church. And in this country, it just looks very different. It's more subtle. It's more psychological. I had a, um, a time where... I, when I first became a Christian, it's funny, we're just talking about um, Soul Survivor being something which, which ends this, this year. For me, it was a, a massive part of my faith. So when I was probably about 11, I became a Christian. But it wasn't until I was 17 when I went to Soul Survivor. It wasn't the, the first time I'd been probably once before. But 
I really encountered the Holy Spirit there, like 100%, and was transformed from someone which was very much reclusive and didn't know how to speak to people to someone which is maybe a little bit more confident than that now, um, and just uh, it transformed everything for me. So I owe a lot to that ministry, so it's sad for me, actually, to hear of it closing its doors in a way, but I know there's always going to be another thing in its place. There's always going to be something. We're, we're going to come together as a people. But um, it's interesting. I, I went to that in, in when I was 17, and off the back of that, I went to college, and I remember being so excited about my faith, like, so, so pumped. I just had to tell everyone. There was, there was not going to be a person I didn't tell. And I remember there was, there was an opportunity, actually, to um, speak on a very similar context of what we're talking about today, this, this idea of what's the one thing. It was a very similar thing. For some reason, I guess they just wanted us to have a bit of practice public speaking in front of people. And they said, uh, you know, you can give a talk on anything you're passionate about. I thought, yes, this is it. I've got an opportunity to speak about God. And this is people that I've met for like, what, two, three weeks, but I had no fear. I was unashamed of the gospel. You know, I knew the power of, of what I'd experienced and I wanted everyone else to know it. So I shared, I gave a testimony, I told everyone, this is why I'm a Christian. And actually, you know, I, I wonder what your thoughts are as I'm saying these words, but how did that go down? What, was, what did people respond like? Were they, was I ousted? Was I persecuted? Because I'm mostly talking about persecution here, right? It actually went really well. Um, people responded well. They, they were encouraged. They, they saw that I was authentic in what I was saying, and they drew, drew parallels with my story. So it was really good, really good. What was maybe not so good was how I followed it up, because in the weeks coming, I was just so ex- expectant that everyone from college was going to be saved. They were going to be coming to the church, and if they weren't coming to the church, it was my job to make that happen. And so I really was a bit too forceful. I mean, I wasn't like, you know, holding a gun to people's heads and saying, you need to come to church. Or, you know, it was nothing like that, but at the same time, I was being that badgering person that was saying, look, you know, we talked about this. You resonated with what I said. Come to church, it's going to be great. And I'd hear these things like, oh, I'll come, but you know, the trains are not very good on Sundays, and you know, all these sort of excuses. Everyone was too nice. And it took a long time before actually what happened was another Christian in college so like, he said to me, oh, actually, people were talking about how you're a bit too pushy with your faith. And I suddenly just had this moment of, oh my gosh, like that was, I didn't get that right. You know, at the first bit, I think, awesome, let's be bold, let's be courageous, and let's definitely have these conversations, but let's be mindful about how we're having these conversations. Let's be prayerful about how we're having these conversations. Let's, let's not just assume that everyone is where we are in this one place. We can have conviction with what we say, but let's be wise. Let's be, let's be servants in that. Let's serve the people which, which need to hear these, these words. So I had a really a difficult time, and that's what I mean about this... Um, persecution being psychological, because that's then paralyzed me, or has paralyzed me in the past, whereas I found it very difficult to, to actually be a witness, because I don't want to fit into this box that I managed to fit myself into before, and I don't want to give a, 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 a bad taste of what it is to be a Christian. So we have all this, this stuff which we hold, and it's, it's so complex. It's really hard, isn't it? And particularly when you've got many different denominations of, of Christianity, lots of like complexity around things. Like, it's just hard to have these conversations. So it might not be that we're 
you know, we're being slaughtered in this country, it's not the same persecution, but we're persecuted. And we need to be aware of that, and we need to be prayerful of that, about how we can be a witness. So let's look at uh, Nebuchadnezzar's tactic in Daniel. So it says that uh, Daniel and his friends were, well, basically the, the best of the best. They were the, the creme de la creme. They were literally, out of all of the people, the, the greatest. And so Nebuchadnezzar knew that if he could influence them, everyone else would follow, because they were the leaders in that group. So that was his little tactic. He gave them this sweet deal as well. So basically, he's sort of saying, look, I'm going to invest in you. Uh, we're going to give you three years training. Um, you're going to you know, get all of the richest food, the richest wine. It's going to be an amazing time. You're going to be treated like a king. It's kind of what he's saying. We're going to have three years of training, and then you're going to work with me, and you're going to have power, and you're going to have responsibility. So it's a really unique offering. For, for me, as someone working in like a tech company, it, it's almost like saying, look, come work for Google. We're going to give you, you know, everything you could possibly ever think of. There's a gym on site that you'll never use. There's a swimming pool that you might use. There's uh, massages, all this sort of stuff. It's materialism that's being sold. And so that's his tactic. That's number one. His other thing, which I think is really interesting, is he attacks their identities. So like we were reading about earlier with Antiochus, with him wanting to eliminate the Jewish sort of identity. This is exactly what he's trying to do here. So we see this in verse 7. It says that the, the, king, uh, official, sorry, the chief official gave new names to them, to Daniel, uh, Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, I was going to say these words, I knew it, uh, to Mishael, uh, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So that in its own, you sort of think, okay, these are names. Is there any really much significance to that? But, but we know that actually in Scripture, assigning new names is a, is, is a biblical principle. It's something which is used in law as well, and it's, it's a way, it was at the time. It was, it was one of those things where you, your identity was wrapped up in, in what your name meant. So let's have a little look at these, these names. So, so Daniel in itself, at the moment, uh, before it was changed, it meant God is my judge. Hananiah meant grace, mercy, gift of the Lord. Uh, Michelle meant, I love this one, who is like God? It's an incredible statement. It's like, who is like God? Who is like him? And Azariah was um, who Jehovah helps. Uh, and then the names changed. So Belteshazzar, was, which is what Daniel became. It's uh, hit the name of that. I don't know if anyone knows this already. It's so interesting. But protect the life of the king is what that, that is now meaning. Or Bel will protect. And Bel was like a, a Greek god. So, complete transformation. Shadrach was inspired of a coup, which is like the moon god in, in Greek mythology. Um, Meshach was uh, belonging to a coup. And then Abednego was a servant of Nego. So, all of these people which had these God-given and God-glorifying, proclaiming names, their identities are, are being ripped away straight away. They're saying, no, you were called that, but you are this. It's powerful, I think. It's something we know in Scripture, is, we're told is powerful. You know, we have an example of, for example, in Genesis, where Abraham becomes Abraham to mean a father of many. This is, this is a scriptural basis in this, this concept of renaming. So there's something significant there. And Nebuchadnezzar does basically attack them by changing their names. It's, it's very interesting. And he tries to redefine them 
as just, you know, people which are void of God. And the book of James tells us about this same concept, the power of the tongue. That's what I feel like this is. Because every time you're saying someone's name, you're saying that meaning over that person. Which I know this maybe sounds a little bit spiritual mumbo-jumbo, but I believe that is true. That's what we see in James. That's, that's what he's talking about, is there is power in what we say. So I'm not saying this name it and claim it stuff. It's not that. What I am saying, though, is that James is saying there is power in the tongue, and we need to be aware that the words that we speak have incredible power, just as I had in, in my experience at college, where great start with the power of the tongue, but I just wasn't too good at, I guess, just carefully choosing my words and being wise. So what is your God-given name? You personally, think about that. Like, what has God spoken over you, over your life, when you've you know, some of you guys maybe have been Christian for a little while or, or not long, but we've all had things that we've identified that have been promises from God, or we should do. If we haven't, let's pray for that this morning. But there are things that God has said to you. You know, he maybe has said, you, you're, a, you're a peacemaker. You're someone that stands for justice. You're someone that is called to be generous. You're someone that loves. You're someone that, and we, we, hopefully we're all of these things to a degree, but there are things that are specific that God has said to us. And in the workplace, and, and, and you know, how are we outworking that? If he said that you're generous, how are you generous? These are the challenges for me that I've experienced. My name actually means, um, Darby means free man, which is really cool. And I know that not everyone has like, names that mean anything particularly massive. Like I think uh, I looked up one name that meant little green shoot, which I thought, I can't see there being any significance there. Maybe there is. Someone might be able to let me know what that one is. But there's, there's more to it than that. It's not your, your, your born name. You know, there's this concept of renaming that we've all gone through where, where God is speaking words of encouragement and hope to us. So don't forget your true name. Don't let yourself be relabeled, whether it was you know, not from, from work doing that per se, but it can happen. We can, we can live in a different identity. We can live in a different mold. So let's have a look at Daniel and see how he, he stands firm. Let's be encouraged by this. So Daniel's friends, are, 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 they chose not to defile themselves, right, it says, um, by having the royal food or the wine, which I think, oh, gosh, that was, that was bold. Oh, I want that wine. <laughs> but it's, uh, the scholars are really actually unsure about this as well. They aren't too sure why this happened. So... That it's been said that it can't really be to maintain Jewish dietary laws because the wine itself would have actually been considered clean food. So it's not that exactly. Um, and it can't be that because the food and wine was offered maybe to Babylonian gods, although it could have been, because the vegetables that they then had would have been the same boat, right? So it's, everyone's a bit confused. One of the things that I've heard, I think it may have been here, someone may have said this, and I thought, oh, okay, that, that's quite cool, was that it could have been, actually, that it wasn't their accustomed diet, so they knew that if they had this rich food, it would have made them unwell, which I think, actually, that's a really interesting point and a very um, practical uh, reason. So, yeah, I think it, it could well be that. But I also believe it was ultimately to demonstrate God's power through a testimony and not to conform. Like we were talking about earlier, that all these things, this, this great lifestyle was presented to them. You come here, come here, come to the, the palace, and you, know, you can live like a king. And they're saying, no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not into materialism. That's not my thing. God's my thing. 
And I also believe, and this is, this is the thing that I found really interesting in, in doing some research on this, was that I, I really do think that it's echoing that persecution that we talked about with Antioch, um, Antiochus, where it says, you know, that the Jews were ordered to sacrifice to pagan gods and to eat pig flesh. So in that time, there was something in the context that was telling them to violate their diet and um, the Jewish diet and the, and, and the sort of the laws they were keeping kosher. So I feel that, that was, there was something in that, and I think it's really interesting to look at that parallel. So this is what we're called to be in the workplace, really, is to be someone that is outspoken, someone that is bold, that steps into God. Um, I love this, this scripture in, in John, which John, um, Jesus says. He says, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. I feel like that's exactly what we're called to be. That's what I was called to be in that time in college. If I was saying it the way he said to say it, maybe the words were right, just how I said it wasn't right, I would have been maybe more effective, would have been uh, a bit gentler. This is what we're called to do primarily. We're called to share the good news of Jesus. That's what we need to be doing. And that is the, the boldest move we can make in a, in a world which is kind of anti-God, really. So I've, I've experienced that now with um, this guy, Jamie, I mentioned before at work. So obviously I had this experience where he was like, you're a Christian, what? And I obviously got taken aback completely. And so I've been on a journey with him where I, I'm now just very conscious that actually I've got an opportunity here to declare God's goodness in my own life and explain what that is. So I'm doing that, I've been doing that. I, I can't say he's a Christian now. He's not, he's not, I'm not, here's Jamie, everyone. You know, that, that's not happened yet. But I'm praying for that. I'm mindful of that. And we're talking about this stuff you know, not every day, but, you know, I'm making the most of opportunities to speak to him prayerfully and considerably about how to approach him. So I believe we're called to do that. I believe we're also called to be prophetic in the workplace. I think we're all called to be prophetic. It's not just for those that are, that are prophetic, the prophetic people which, which hear from God. We all hear from God. That's what that really means. It's, it's what can I bring to the workplace? What are they... What are people wanting to hear that God is wanting to say? I believe in proclaiming God's truth. That's what we're called to do, whether that might be in areas of justice or, or hope. So I've got an example of this, which was something that happened to me, and I want to try and be as practical as I can with, with what I'm saying here, because I know it can be quite airy-fairy sometimes, good concepts, but how do I actually do this out? And I'm a very practical person. I want, to, I want to be able to be changed, know what that looks like. So for me, that's, that's meant uh, I've had a catch-up with one of my bosses about um, really the environmental sustainability within the company and, and what we're trying to do. Because it's been something which is massive in our culture, obviously, and, and you know, we're, we're all kind of aware of it, I think, now, uh, more than we were, at least. And that's talking as kind of a, a general people, not just as a church. And so I thought, well, actually, nothing's really been done here in the workplace. There's, there's things like um, 
you know, people always, I mean, there's, there's, there's almost like individual behavior, which was just part of the culture of, of the workplace, but there's also corporate responsibility, and there's both of those things that I wanted to see movement in. So, you know, things like there's a waste bin that Guildford Borough Council will say, you can chuck everything in there, doesn't matter what it is, it can be recycled, it can be food waste, it can be waste waste, and we'll magically sort it out, which I just, I just personally don't believe. Maybe, maybe there is a way, but I, I can't see it because everything will get cross-contaminated. But anyway, so, you know, we talked about that. We talked about what we might have to do about the kind of the individual responsibility and how we could build a bit of a culture. So well, there's small steps there that have already happened. And, you know, this was not a massive thing. This was me just having a little conversation with my boss, but this is what I feel we're called to. I'm not telling us that we, we need to hold this burden, which is just so massive, and we need to feel really guilty that we're not living a Christian life. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God has already called us, and he's given us opportunities, and we need to be aware of what those are. And for me, that was one of them. Um, and it's even led to, I said, you know, I'm actually happy to give a little talk internally um, about how we might do that individually in the company. And he's like, yeah, great. So I'm waiting for that to be booked in. Um, so I need to push on that. So hold me accountable to that one. If in a couple of weeks nothing's happened, then you, can, you have the right to have a go at me. <laughs> um, but that's what I feel we're called to, really, is to, is to stand for change and, and stand for change when we need to. The other thing that I, I and this is, again, this is more personal stuff of my revelation, but I, I hope and pray that you'll, you'll relate to some of this stuff and feel like actually that's for me as well. So for me, it's, it's about giving yourself in serving, actually serving. What does that look like? So for me, it looks like giving time and genuine quality time with people. I mean, so much we have this thing at, at work where everyone's just in their own little bubble and, you know, it's almost no touchy zone. I'm, I'm in work mode now. We can't talk. You can offer me a cup of tea. That's probably all I'll let you do. And it's, it's, that's the culture that we're all in, I think, to some degree, where work is this all-consuming thing. And I don't believe that's how God's made us to be. It doesn't, doesn't want us to be. So where we can, to be aware of that and say, actually, I'm going to break that mold. I'm going to stand for what I believe to be right and true in this. And, and giving people real conversations, real time, actually valuing them and looking out for the signs where people maybe are struggling a bit or um, just want to chat about something or just want to have a bit of fun. You know, it doesn't have to all be, let's work really, really hard and everything's really boring. Let's, let's have fun with this. And then uh, for me as well, like a weird one maybe, maybe it's not that weird, but gifts. Um, so I think that really there's opportunity to, to give more actual physical things even in the workplace. So one thing they do really well, and I was saying, you know, I, I do see this, this company I work for was praises in a way because they, they do some stuff really well. They do culture really well there. And whenever someone has a six-month review or whatever, assuming it goes well, They'll, they'll come back and maybe give like, you know, the whole office Krispy Kreme donuts, which I just love so much. I'm like, yes, I found the right place to be. But I hadn't even done that. I'd had my six-month review, and I just was like, oh, no, I won't worry about that. And that's really silly. If, if, you know, I, I feel that we're called to be the head, not the tail, you know, in terms of how we lead our culture. We as, and not just individually, but we as church, we need to stand for, for bringing change and being someone which transforms culture, not just being led by good initiatives by other people. So, unprompted, I thought, I'll just go and give some donuts. Small thing, again, I got some donuts. They said, oh, why have you done this? I said, oh, no reason, really, just, just wanted to, to be generous. And I think that was impactful, you know, and it's small things. The other thing is words. Being an encourager, I feel like that's something that the God's called me to be. So I try and do that, and again, it comes correlates with the time thing. Um, and it's funny actually. I was 
walking my kids back from nursery recently in the, in the, um, in the pram, and uh, Isaac, the oldest of our boys, he said to me something like, uh, he said, oh, I was speaking to one of the neighbours who was walking by just saying hello or something, and he said, oh, you speak to man or something like that, and I'm like, yeah, no, dude, just, just have a chat. And I said to him, um, and this is it's interesting, yeah, I, I just said, and I feel this is true, it's maybe a little bit basic, but I feel that's what, it, what is right. I said that people were just waiting for you to smile and say hello. And I think that's, that is really true. We live in a culture which doesn't do that. And we need to be led, um, everyone needs to be led in that, and we need to be the people here actually leading the way. They're waiting to be led, um, and we, we have the opportunity to do that. So let's get that right in church, to begin with at least. Let's be, let's be I think we are, I'm not saying we're not nice people, but let's really make a conscious effort to, to be church and be nice to each other, to smile, um, like that smile at the back there. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> but we, we need to do that. We need to be people which, which are simple in that. And the last thing is um, that God is faithful, um, and we're called to be really uh, just to be credible. Um, there's this, this quote, um, I think it might be my old pastor that said it. I have no idea. I Googled it in case, you know, I was stealing it without being able to give any credit. And I, I can't actually say who said this originally, but it's a very simple thing. But... We're called to be credible, so be, be credible and let God be incredible. Simple statement, but I feel like there's, there's power in that, and all too much we just try and, we try and fill in all the gaps. We try and be God. We don't need to do that. Um, we see that in, in, the, in the story of Daniel. So in verse 9, it says that you know, Daniel was given favor and compassion. So you know, that wasn't his own doing. Verse 12, it says he proposes a test of 10 days. And in verse 20, it, it sort of comes to the end of his training. He's with the king, and it's, it says that he is found 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters. So that is what we're, we're called to do, is just step in faith and be credible. Let God do the rest.